0: guys can grab a seat. Thank you, worship team. Man, what rich truths uh, to start off our time of worship together. Just want to welcome uh, those of you who are here with us in the house today. I also want to welcome our online church family. We know many of you are are out there in virtual land joining us uh, every single week. So I want you to let you you know we haven't forgotten about you. If there's any way we can serve you or come alongside you in, in prayer or maybe meeting some other need, please let us know. Uh, info at nlcca.org. We'd love to just help you, walk with you, pray with you any way that we can. If you happen to be uh, new here, whether you're online or in the room, uh, my name is Chris. I'm one of the pastors here at New Life. And we have for the last eight weeks been in a series called Lament, Finding Hope in uh, the Rubble. And if you're like, man, this is my first week. oh I'm in kind of the last tail end of this series. I'm gonna be lost. Don't worry. Actually, I think this is a, a great time, a great message for you, even if this is your, your very first time. Now, you may have noticed if you, when you walked in, there's a couple of round tables with these, uh, these really colorful little handouts on them. You also may have received them if you're on our weekly uh, e-letter called The Loop. We have sent this out in a PDF format the last two weeks. And so if you have not gotten it, either via email or a hard copy, if you're in the room, you can grab one of these on your way out. Uh, If you're online and you don't get the loop, just send us an email if you want one of these. Info at NLCCA.org, we'll send you a PDF uh, this week. But what this is, is a seven-day guide of lament and prayer. And, And literally, this would take you five or six minutes in the morning or at night before you go to bed. We've got a psalm laid out. We've preached through some of these psalms over the last eight weeks or so. Others of them are new. And then just a little prayer, like a guided prayer that goes along with that psalm. Okay, so very easy to do. This is kind of our lament challenge as we finish out this series. So let me just encourage you. I know some of you actually did this last week. I heard from one family that took the challenge. And uh, the second part of that is we're asking you to fast from one thing over the course of the next seven days as you pray through this guide. And so uh, one family reached out last week who did it last week. And the thing that they chose to fast from was screen time. So both the adults and the teens in the home, they said, hey, listen, we're just not going to, we're not going to watch Netflix at night. We're not getting on our phones and mindlessly scrolling through Instagram or whatever it is. So for an entire week, to my knowledge, they didn't kill each other. I think they survived the entire week. And so I don't know what that thing is that you need to fast from, what's taking too much of your time and maybe stealing some time that really should belong to the Lord throughout the week, but I would just challenge you to find what that is. Maybe for you, that is screen time. For me, I know that's a big thing. I spend way too much time at night, man, just kinda scrolling through feeds and doing dumb stuff and wasting time. So maybe for you, it's it's screen time. Maybe for you, just say, hey, I'm, I'm not gonna do Netflix for this week. Maybe for you, it's like, hey, I'm gonna fast from sugar or caffeine or, or something. So just do something, choose something to fast from. And then when you have that inclination to wanna to do that thing or eat that thing or read that thing, let that be a reminder to you. No, 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 I need to spend some time right now with the Lord. I'm going to go to him. I'm going to confess my sin. I'm going to pour out my heart, my pain. I'm going to declare my trust in him. So this is just a, a little tool to help you kind of flesh out what we've been teaching through for the last eight weeks. So that's available for you. I hope that you'll take advantage of it. Hope you'll take the challenge this week. Fast from something, really dive in, connect with God this week. Now again, if you're here, if you're new, newer, that's okay. I'm going to give you like a, like a 60 second catch up, rewind, so you'll be ready to go. Here, here it is. Lament, like a lot of people don't know what that is in our culture, because we, we just don't talk about lament. In fact, you hear that word, it's kinda like, man, what does that, what does that mean? Does that mean sad, does that mean I should be crying? What, what, what does that mean? So here's our working definition for the last eight weeks, and for the last time, here it is on the screen for you now. Lament is a prayer in pain that leads to trust. I hope that many of you have that memorized by now. That's what a lament is. It is a prayer in pain that doesn't lead us away from trust in God. It actually presses us into God so that we learn to trust him even more in those times. We've also talked about the last eight weeks how there are four elements, four parts to a biblical lament. The first part is turning to God. And that's really big, right? Because a lot of times when we sort of encounter a challenge in life or tragedy enters our life or some, something unexpected happens to us, the tendency oftentimes is to turn away from God. It's to run from God. Like, man, God, this was not part of the deal. Uh, Jesus, I thought when I followed you that everything was gonna start to go well, that you were gonna like take all the problems out of my life. But man, here I am, I'm trying to follow you and I got all this pain. I got all this sorrow in my life. And so for a lot of us, our tendency is actually to run away from God in those moments instead of run to God. But lament teaches us always, 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 even and especially in the difficult moments in life, we, we run to God. He's a good father. He welcomes us in those moments. The second part of a lament is one that if you're like me and you grew up in the church, we were kind of discouraged from this. And it's, it's called pouring out our complaints to God. And a lot of us kind of grew up with this misconception that that's actually disrespectful. So we kind of grew up thinking, man, to engage with God, to pray with God, we kind of have to use this like flowery language and almost like this King James English. And, and that's how you connect with God. The problem with that is that is so anti-biblical, you read through the scriptures, you read through the Old Testament, you read through the New Testament, particularly the Psalms, and these people, these men and women who love God and have this awesome, powerful relationship with God, they're constantly coming to God with very real, very raw, very transparent emotions, and God never shuns them for it. He actually welcomes that level of engagement, and uh, openness and transparency. And so that's the second element of lament. We turn to God in our problems. We're honest. We pour out our complaints. God, this hurts. God, I don't know why this is happening. This doesn't make any sense to me, God. This is confusing to me, right? God already knows the emotions, the thoughts in our minds and our hearts anyway. So why don't we just go ahead and tell him what he already knows and take those to him? And then the third element we looked at just a couple weeks ago was asking for help. And there's so many of us, I think, especially as Christians, where we never learn the art of going to God and asking for help. We're so, we try to be so independent and so self-sufficient so when we find ourselves in a pickle and we get in trouble and life kind of goes sideways, we're just like, man, I gotta figure this out on my own. I'm gonna figure this out. I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm a smart person, and so I'm just gonna kind of use my intellect to massage this situation and kind of figure things out. Or, or maybe I know some wise people in my life, so I'll go to them and say, hey, I need need some help, please help me. I don't know how to get out of this situation or if all else fails, we'll go to Google, right? Like, how do I get out of this situation? And we never even think about going to God. And the whole time, God's like, hey, I'm your good father, I'm right here. Like, I want to engage with you. I want to walk with you through these trials and tribulations. Why don't you come and ask me for help? So that's part of learning how to lament is coming to God and saying, God, help. God, I don't know what to do. God, show up, please, I'm drowning here. God, I need your help. I need you to show up in this situation. I need you to show up in this circumstance. And then last week we looked at the fourth part my favorite part of lament, which is a declaration of trust. And that just means, man, when we're walking through the ashes of a really hard and painful situation, we actually declare our trust in God. We say, God, man, I don't don't know where this is going. I don't know how this story is gonna end necessarily. I am really confused. I'm in a lot of pain, God, but I want you to know, even if you strip everything else away from me in my life, as long as I have you, I have what I need. God, I trust you in that. Even when I can't see, I believe. I'm gonna walk with you. I'm gonna trust in you. And that's powerful when we begin to learn how to do that in really difficult times in our life. And so, as we learn to practice this rhythm, this spiritual discipline of lament in our lives as followers of Jesus, because listen, how how many of you know that life is hard? Life is hard. And this world is pretty jacked up a lot of times. It really is, which means each of us, each of you will walk through seasons of suffering. You just will. You will walk through loss. You will walk through pain. It is inevitable. But when we begin to practice biblical lament, the end result is a battle-tested person who lives a hope-filled life in the middle of the chaos of this world. And I don't know about you, that's the kind of person I wanna be. I want to be the kind of person man, man, that where, where my hope and my security is anchored in something outside of my circumstances, where I'm not just kind of shifted and blown by whatever thing is happening to me in my life at that moment in time. I want to be that person, and this is what lament allows us to do. So if you have a Bible this morning, go ahead and go open it up to the Old Testament, or if you have your device, go ahead and turn that on. Head for Lamentations chapter three. Some of you are like, Lamentations. Is that even a book in the Bible? Yes, it's a book in the Bible. It's in the Old Testament. Lamentations chapter 3. Now, Lamentations is a little bit unique in the sense that most books in the Bible, and even most stories, like novels that we we read today, movies that we watch today, have kind of this upward literary trajectory, right? So it it means the stories kind of always build towards a crescendo or towards a climax, but Lamentations has a little bit of a different literary style. It's, you kind of have to think of it like a mountain. So overall, it's a very, it's a very sad book, but it, it actually works to a peak right in the middle of the book in chapter three. And that's where we're gonna park. We're gonna park on that peak in chapter three together this morning. Now, these are some of the most famous verses in the entire Bible. In fact, um, if you've been a Christian for a long time, you grew up in church, you may have a painting in your house with these verses on it. In the 90s, early 2000s, there was a the famous Christian uh, artist called Thomas Kincaid who, who, who would paint these really beautiful, scenic pictures, right, of a, of a meadow with deers frolicking around a stream and a lot of times Lamentations three would be the the verse that was on a lot of his his paintings. Or you may have a a coffee cup at home with a a really pretty painting on it with Lamentations uh, chapter three. But the reality is most people don't understand the background and the setting of Lamentations chapter three. See, Lamentations was not surprisingly, it was a lament, but it was written in the ashes of suffering by a prophet, likely by a prophet named Jeremiah. And so the setting for Lamentations three is 587 B.C., the Babylonians come in, or again, this, this wicked empire. They just burn all these cities in Jerusalem. They get to, or, or Israel, they get to Jerusalem and it has a, a, city, a city gate. It's fortified. And so they can't get in to just wipe everybody out immediately. And so what they do is they lay siege on Jerusalem for almost two years. So they cut off all supplies coming into the city. They prevent anything going out of the city. And so just kind of think about yourself. If an army surrounded your house or your neighborhood or even the city of Asheville, how long would we last, right? So this is, this is Jerusalem. And so you read the book and it's chaotic and it's sad. Um, they're cut off from any kind of supplies. People are literally starving to death. We read about one point in chapter four, parents actually beginning to cannibalize their children. I mean, we, we just cannot even fathom the level of suffering and sorrow that these people face. So finally, after two years of being under siege, the Babylonians break through the wall and they just lay waste to everything. Kill a bunch of people, whoever's left, they take in to slavery, to Babylon, they start burning all the house, they even burn the temple to the ground. And so as we read this, we, we need to picture not a Thomas Kincaid painting with deers frolicking through a meadow, But we need to picture Jeremiah standing in bloodstained streets, exhausted from weeping, breathing in the ashes and the soot from his home that he just watched burn down, and the temple that just got burned to the ground, the temple that he grew up in from the time that he was a little boy. So I don't, listen, it doesn't matter how, how rough 2020 and 2021 have been for, for you or for me. Most of us have never tasted the level of torment or sorrow that Jeremiah is writing from at this point in time. So that's the context. Just remember that the next time you take a sip from your Thomas Kincaid coffee mug with, with the deers frolicking through the woods, um, that's, that's not accurate at all, okay? So chapter three, starting in verse 19. This is Jeremiah. He says, remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the, the gall. This is a, a picture of, of bitterness in this culture. He's saying, man, I, I've been through so much suffering. I've seen so much. I've been through so much sorrow. I just, I just have this seed of, I just feel bitter about it. And, and I'm guessing that there are probably some of you who are out there right now, like you don't, you don't wanna be bitter, you don't wanna have this seed of, this root of bitterness growing in your heart, but you've been through so much, so much betrayal and pain and suffering that you can't even help it. There's just like this little root of bitterness. You're like, man, I'm just kind of bitter that God has put me here, that he allowed this thing to happen to me, that he allowed this relationship to fall apart, where if that's where you're at, you're in good company. That's exactly where Jeremiah was. Verse 20, he says, my soul... Continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. So Jeremiah at this point has learned the lesson not to ignore his pain, not to pretend that his pain or his trauma doesn't exist, not to push it down and just cowboy on, soldier on, hey, rub some dirt in it, boy, you know, all the kind of st- dumb stuff our culture tells us to do. He's learned, no, 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 that's not the pathway to healing. So, I mean, I, I, I want to remember this pain. I need to process through. I need the Lord to help me process through what I'm going through. He wants to remember it. And when he does, he says, listen a minute, my soul is bowed down within me. My soul is bowed down within me. Now, how many of us here know that sometimes, maybe even oftentimes, it's at the low point in life. It's at the rock bottom in life that we learn that when all that we have left is God, when he is our rock bottom, it's only at that point that we learn that he is actually enough for us. So many of us have have learned that the, the difficult way and I think that's where Jeremiah is. Everything's been stripped away. He's lost it all and he's learning that in the midst of that loss, in the midst of that trauma, in the midst of that chaos, that God is enough. And that begins to shift his attitude and his tone as we'll see in verse 21. Look what he says. But this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. How in the world can he say he has hope? Remember the setting. He's standing in the streets of a decimated city, people he loved dead, people he loved taken into slavery, everything he's ever known burnt to the ground. Hopelessness, if there ever was a hopeless situation. And Jeremiah's looking at all that, and he's saying, I have hope. This I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. What are you you calling to mind, Jeremiah, that gives you hope? Here it is, verse 22. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases, His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness, Lord. So what Jeremiah is saying is is he's saying, hey, even now, even as I look at the, the rubble of everything I've ever known and trusted and loved, when everything, literally everything has been stripped away from me, here's why I can have hope. He says, the steadfast love of the Lord. Now, that is, that is a Hebrew word called hesed. I can't even pronounce it. You gotta say it with a, like a guttural tone, but it's, it's, it's said. That's the best I can do. It, it, some translations will uh, translate that mercy. I think the ESV does a better job and translates it steadfast love. That Hebrew word literally means God's covenantal love. It means his unstoppable, unbreakable love for his people. Meaning, and listen, this is really good news. Meaning that God's love for you and God's love for me is not Conditional. And what that means is if you are in Christ, if you've trusted Christ, he loves you on your great days when you wake up super early and you, man, you turn on the worship music and you have that time with the Lord and you just feel the spirit moving and you read two chapters of scripture and you spend 30 minutes in prayer, man, and man, you love your spouse well and you love your kids well, or you're younger and you respect your parents well and man, everything is going great. He loves you on those days and... He loves you on the days where you're not so great. He loves you just the same on the days when you forget to read your Bible and you forget to spend time with him in prayer and the days where you lose your temper and you shout at your spouse or you scream at your kids or the dude cuts you off on 240 with a coexist bumper sticker and then gives you the bird and you try to run him off the road. Not that I would, I mean, you guys probably struggle with stuff like that not me, the good days, the bad days, God loves us and it's not conditional upon our performance for him. God's love for you, believer, Christian, is not, you you need to hear this, is not based on your performance. It's based on Jesus's performance on your behalf. Come on somebody, that is good news. I'm gonna start preaching if y'all don't get excited, man. Y'all gonna get in trouble in a minute. His mercies, ne- Jeremiah is saying, never come to an end. Never, never, never. They are new every single morning. In other words, listen, believer, if you had a rough week last week, if you really messed up over the last month, if you were looking at something you shouldn't have been looking at last night or doing something you shouldn't have been doing this weekend, guess what God offers you every single morning when you open your eyes? New mercy. So I think this is a healthy exercise. I want you to start every every day, every morning when you open your eyes. I want you to picture God the Father standing there as you open your eyes, with a smile on His face, with a big old bowl of mercy, and just saying, "Hey, I love you." I want you to feast on this mercy. I don't care what you did yesterday. I don't care how bad you messed up last week or, or last month or even your whole life. My mercies are new every single morning. Feast on this. How many of you think of God that way when you think of him? See, I think far too many of us, and listen, I'm, I'm in this boat, I'm, so I'm confessing it right now before you and God and everybody else. But I think a lot of us, we picture God when we mess up, when we sin, when we haven't been reading our Bible or do whatever it is, we begin to picture God when we wake up, not as a loving father standing there with a huge smile on his face and a huge bowl of grace saying, I love you, feast on my grace. Many of us begin to picture God as angry and disappointed and relationally, relationally frustrated with us. And so I begin to think like, God doesn't wanna hear from me. Like God's gotta be thinking like, Chris, again, you're still, you're still struggling with this, man? already forgave you 300 times. No more, man. Go sit in the corner, Chris. I don't, I don't wanna hear from you. I don't wanna talk to you for a, a month. That's a, listen, I think a lot of us have that picture of who God is. That is not the picture that, that scripture paints of who God is ever. No, every single day, Jeremiah is saying is new. It's a fresh opportunity to walk in the mercies of God. He offers this to us freely. He is a faithful God, even when we are unfaithful people. So biblical lament leads us to understand three things. Actually, more than three things, we only have time for for three, so that's what you're getting. Biblical lament leads us to understand three things. Here's the first one. Believer, you gotta start understanding that mercy for the follower of Jesus is our floor. And what I mean by that is no matter how bad it gets in your life, no, no matter how far you run from God, no matter what your past looks like or how painful your present is, For the sons and daughters of God, our floor is nothing less than mercy. And so when we hit rock bottom, when life begins to strip everything away from you that you thought you needed to be happy in life, what we find at rock bottom as followers of Jesus is fresh mercy and relentless love from a good God who loves us. And so as we walk through the tough stuff in life, When someone you love dies, when a relationship that was really important to you ends, when the scary diagnosis from your doctor comes, when things don't get better at home, they don't get better at the office, and they don't get better at school or on your campus, if you know Jesus, listen, you need to understand, your rock bottom is not hopelessness. Your rock bottom is not despair. Your rock bottom as a follower of Jesus is the mercy of God. That is our floor. And I know because I've heard from many of you who have testified and you've shared your story with me and you said, Chris, look, I've lost it all. And I've hit rock bottom. And for some of you, man, I've hit rock bottom multiple times. And when I got to the bottom, what I found was the sustaining grace and mercy of God. And thank God for that. Now look what he says in verse 24. He says, uh, this is beautiful language. He says, the Lord is my portion. This is is possessive language. What what he's saying is, God God is mine. Like I know him, he knows me. We're in relationship, we are one. I belong to him and he belongs to me. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. So he's saying, this is coming from a deep place in my heart. Now, I'm convinced there are some of us, particularly in the American church today, where, man, we, we've got all kinds of head knowledge. And we can tell you facts about the Bible until the cows come home, man. We can tell you, yeah, I believe in the gospel. I believe in Jesus. I believe in the resurrection. I believe in all this stuff. But all it is for us is head knowledge. And for a lot of us, that needs to begin to trickle down into our hearts and our souls like it has for Jeremiah because it makes all the difference. He can stand in the rubble of unimaginable loss and say, the Lord is my portion. I have hope, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. So Jeremiah, for the second time, he's using this word. It's becoming a theme for him, hope, hope, hope. Now, why is he hopeful? He says, because the Lord is my portion. And what he's saying there is God belongs to me. Now, he's not saying that in kind of, kind of a weird, possessive way, like, hey, um, God is my, like, I own him. Like, he's my genie in the bottle. And so I can just kind of manipulate him and press certain buttons and pray certain prayers and, and have this little formula of going to church and paying my tithe and, and, and serving. And if I do all these things, then he's got to give me what I want. So when I ask for that brand new Benz, man, he has got he better come through. When I want that brand new three-story house on the golf course, man, God has got to come. Now, that's not what Jeremiah is talking about here. It's not some kind of twisted, manipulative ownership of God. It's a, it's a relational sort of thing. So it's kind of like a marriage, right? A husband And wife get married, they become one flesh. The husband belongs to the wife, the wife belongs to the husband, not in some kind of weird, possessive, abusive way, but in a relational bond kind of way. Like I I belong to my wife Cheryl. She belongs to me. Like that, there's freedom in that. There's there's joy in that. This is covenantal love. We belong to him, we belong to God. He belongs to us. This is, this is relationship. This is flourishing. This is healthy. This is beautiful. And what Jeremiah is getting at here is, listen, when God is all you have, when everything else is kind of stripped away, you begin to realize that he's actually all that you need. Now this calls to mind, at least for me, Psalm, the famous Psalm, Psalm 73. This will be on the screens for you. This is what the psalmist writes. Listen to this. He says, whom have I in heaven but you? God. And there is nothing on earth I desire besides you. My heart and my flesh may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion. Same language, my portion, he belongs to me forever. Guys, listen, this broken world can take away my material possessions in an instant. People I love dearly can be taken from me in an instant. And you need to understand, there's not one person here in this room right now, there's not one person who's tuned in online right now where one phone call next week, one text message couldn't absolutely rock your world and change your life forever and devastate you in ways that you've never even imagined possible. That's a reality for all of us. One phone call, one devastating text message. Your life has changed forever. Listen, you can take away everything else from me, but you can never take God away. He can take it all away, but you can never take that away. Not ever, because in the end, we discover that he is ultimately all that we need. I love the way um, Charles Spurgeon, great preacher, one of my favorite, pre- probably my favorite preacher, 1800s. This is, I love the way he put it. He put, he put it like this, it'll be on the screens for you. He said, what a blessed God is, at, there, there again, this possessive language. He's saying, God belongs, he belongs to me. How many of you think of God like that? What a blessed God is ours in Christ Jesus. And I love the way he describes God. A sea of never failing delights, a river of boundless joys forever flowing on. Now, a lot of people don't know that Charles Spurgeon struggled with incredible debilitating health problems almost his entire adult life. Not only did he struggle with pain and health problems almost in his entire life, but he struggled with deep bouts of depression consistently one of the greatest preachers to ever walk the face of the earth. And he's saying, even in all of that, God is my portion. Guys, he can take away everything else. He can take away everything else. If I have God, Spurgeon is saying, I'm good. Take it all away. If I got God, then I'm, then I'm good. He's a sea of never failing delights. He's a river of boundless joys. Do you think of your relationship with God in those, in those ways? Or is it just intellectual? Is it just head knowledge? Is it something that you haven't actually experienced before? And if that's you, I just want want you to know God has so much more for you. He offers you a dynamic, living, breathing relationship with the creator of this universe that can absolutely transform your life. Now, look look at what he says in verse 25. Now, this is a part a lot of us don't like. He says this, the Lord is good to those who, what? Ah, Wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man that he bear the yoke of, he's talking about waiting. It's good for him to bear the yoke of waiting in his youth as, as a kid. Now here's the second truth that lament leads us to understand for the believer. Number two, not only is mercy our floor, but waiting is our weapon. Now a lot of you, man, you're already like cringing and groaning inside, oh. Come on, man. Give me something to do. Wanna do something? Don't don't tell me to don't tell me to wait. Who likes to wait? Like, no, unless you're just a weirdo, like no nobody likes to. Like, I've never in my life met one person who said, Chris, I just want to share this story with you. I was at the DMV the other day. And after three hours of waiting in line, I just sensed that the Lord was doing something deep in my soul. It was refining my spirit. He was sanctifying me in fresh and new ways as I waited endlessly. And so I just began to pray, Lord, three more hours. Give me more waiting, God. Give me, I've never met a single person in my life that has had that kind of outlook and approach to waiting in life, particularly in a culture like ours that kind of prioritizes and celebrates the quick, the easy, the instant gratification. And here's my personal confession, man. I, I just, I'm telling you, I I detest waiting. Man, like detest, like I hate it. And the reality is you do too. And I think the reason that we hate it is we feel like we're useless in the moment. We feel like we're not doing anything, but don't you think that's kind of the point here? Because when we're forced to wait, we're forced to put our trust and our hope and our rest in God. And he begins to teach us that when we can't do anything, he is almost always up to doing something. See, waiting forces us into a position of walking by faith and not by sight. It teaches our heart lessons of trust. And here's what I'm discovering the older I get. God cares way more about the transformation of my heart than taking away every single painful circumstance as soon as it enters into my life. Have you discovered that? He just does. He cares more about your heart than just taking away every single inconvenience in your life every time it enters into your life. Why? Because he's an angry father? No, because he's a good father. Waiting activates our trust in God. And listen, a person that is unshakable and has kind of this bulletproof trust in God, listen, is a very dangerous person in the kingdom of God. And that's the kind of person I wanna be in his kingdom. That's what I want for you. That's what I want for us collectively as a faith family here at New Life. My son, I can tell this story because he's in, he's in kids' church, I think. Um, he's eight years old, Judah, is, and he is really into uh, Legos right now. And um, I, I love Legos when I was a kid. Now, I don't remember them being so expensive. When I, have you guys looked up the prices of Legos? <laughs> I mean, it's like I, feel, I, I buy him something, I feel like I need to go sell my plasma or something just to kind of get some of it back. But he loves Legos. And so he gets an allowance every week for doing his chores. And then, you know, his grandparents give him money for birthday, Christmas, all this kind of stuff. So, but as soon as that kid gets like eight bucks, 10 bucks, 12 bucks, he just starts begging me relentlessly, dad, can I, can I buy a Lego? I found this little tiny figurine. It's like $400 for this one. It's a really good deal. know, I want to buy it. And occasionally I'll, I'll let him do it. But most of the time I tell him no. Now why? Because I'm a jerk father? Well, that could be part of it, but that's not the main reason why. I'm trying to teach him patience. Look back at verse 27. It says, it is good for a man that he bear the yoke of waiting in his youth. Parents, one of the greatest gifts you can give your kids is not to give them what they want when they want it. It's to teach them that waiting is a weapon. And so I tell him, buddy, listen, I know you got $13 right now, but if you will wait a few months and you will save up to $50, we can get you a really cool Lego set. And if you wait for eight months or 10 months, we could get you a $100 Lego set. It would be super awesome. And I'm trying to teach them that waiting is a weapon that oftentimes leads to something better in life. I can remember in in college before I was a a believer, I had a a girlfriend and we had a, neither one of us were believers and, and we had a serious relationship and we were talking about marriage and all this stuff and it was a toxic, unhealthy relationship. And I remember after I gave my life to Christ, I lost all my friends on the university campus. And then about two months later, we just, we realized like, hey, we are just heading in two different directions in our life. And we broke up. And I can remember just being devastated. I remember getting in my car one night and just driving around my college campus, just devastated, and I was angry. I was angry at God, and I was just almost like screaming out, out loud, God, God, this is what I get! Like I finally give my life to you and I finally follow you. And not, not only do you strip away all of my friends from me, but you take the one person that I thought was most important to me in my life. Like, God, why are you, why are you doing this? I was devastated. And I transferred out to another university uh, the very next year where I met my beautiful wife, Cheryl. And as soon as that happened, I said, thank you, God. Thank you, God, for not giving me what I thought I wanted. And what I thought I I needed, you had something so much better for me. Thank you for not giving me something in the moment just to take away my pain. Thank you for walking with me through that period of pain because you had another destination, a better destination lying ahead for me that I couldn't even see. Thank you for making me wait. And biblical lament leads us to understand that for those of us who are in Jesus, mercy is our floor, waiting is a powerful weapon And then one last thing, look at verse 31. For the Lord will not cast off forever. That's good news, isn't it? But though he causes grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. And what he's saying here is son or daughter of God. Listen, your suffering does not get the last word. Your pain, believer, has an expiration date. Now, your pain and suffering may not end tomorrow. It may not end next week. It may not even end in this lifetime. But at the end of the day, when all is said and done, one thing that lament leads us to understand, and this is our third and final point, is that believer, victory is our destination. That's where we're heading if we're in Christ. And it doesn't matter how bad it is right now. It doesn't matter how much your life hurts right now in the moment because, listen, and some of you really need to hear this today, Christian, your story isn't done yet. Your story's not done yet. You say, Chris, man, you don't know how bad I messed up. Chris, you, don't, you have no idea how broken I am. You don't know the things that I've done. You don't know the things that have been done to me. You don't know the depths of my suffering, and I do not. You're right, but what I do know is this. If you are here with us in the room or you're watching online, and you, listen, if you have breath in your lungs, your story isn't finished and here's what else I know if you're hurting if you're suffering right now if you are just riddled with anxiety if you feel like you're locked in the basement of depression if you're in Christ debt your destination is still victory it's still victory and I'm just telling you I, I've read the whole book I know how the story ends And believer, your story ends in redemption and healing and restoration and glory with your king and your redeemer, Jesus, forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. That's where you're going. That is the last chapter in your book. Now, while I'm on it, let me just say this, and I say this in love, but I think there are a lot of redeemed, blood-bought sons and daughters the king of this universe out there right now who are walking around through life with a disposition of defeat. And listen, I I know circumstances are hard. And I understand that some of you are walking through devastating pathways of pain and loss, but I want you to understand that if you know Jesus, you are not defeated. You may be down, but you are not out because if you know Jesus, your destination is victory. And if you don't believe me, I want you to watch this, we're almost done. This is John, uh, a disciple of Jesus, one of the best friends Jesus had on this planet. And he's given us in Revelation chapter one, a picture of what is to come. He's given us a picture of our final chapter. So I just wanna read this with you. This is what John writes. This This is where we're going, believer. This is where we're headed. John writes this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, And I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. And he will live with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them. He will wipe away, and here's where it gets really good He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, there will be no more sorrow, there will be no more crying there'll be no more pain because all of these things will be gone forever. See, lament teaches us that in our pain and in our loss and in our struggles that we can look at all of those things in our life and say, it's not over yet. My story is not over yet. I know my destination. I know how this chapter ends. And so in the meantime, friend, as we stand between the pain of this world and the promise of the one to come in Christ, we can stand in the ashes of crushed dreams, of shattered promises, with hearts full of hope, as victors in Jesus. Now, hear me, I don't, I don't ever want you to come here and just have me kind of tickle your ears and have me just tell you what you wanna hear so you can walk out of here feeling good about it. There are far too many pastors, in my opinion, that are doing that today just to be popular and draw big crowds. I don't ever want you to be deceived. Life is hard. Life is gonna continue to be hard until Jesus comes back and makes all things new and all things right. Pain will come in your life. Friend, and you're gonna walk through some really hard times in the days ahead. But here's the good news. God sent Jesus into our world of brokenness and loss and sorrow and pain, and he lived a perfect, sinless, flawless life for you, friend. He lived the life that you should have lived, but you couldn't live. And then he went to the cross and he died a torturous, unimaginable, bloody, Horrible death to pay for your rebellion and your sin and all the times you spit in His face by choosing your sin over loving Him. Just like He died for my sin, and He didn't stay in that grave. He rose again on the third day to give us hope and life. And so, listen. This is what the gospel teaches us. The gospel teaches us that the pain of Friday, the the crucifixion. And listen, some of you are living in Friday right now. I know. It just hurts. It's painful right now and you don't see a way out. You don't know how you're gonna get through today, much less tomorrow or next week or next month. And you're in Friday right now and it just hurts. But the gospel teaches us that not only the pain of Friday, but also the darkness of Saturday where Jesus' body is just laying in the tomb and it seems like everything is lost. Some of you are there, you're living in Saturday. And it's dark and it's silent and you feel like God has forgotten about you. You feel like he's abandoned you. But what the gospel teaches us is that the pain of Friday and the darkness of Saturday always leads to a resurrection on Sunday for his sons and his daughters. And that is our story, guys. That is our king. That is our hope. And so let this be our declaration today. These are the words of King David in Psalm 40. And then we're going to pray. We're going to sing. This will be on the screens for you. This is what David writes. King David, who understood pain and suffering better than most, He says, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined to me and heard my cry. Aren't you grateful that we serve a God who hears our cries? And he doesn't turn his back on us, he presses into us, and he walks with us through those times. And he drew me up from the pit of destruction. That's where some of you are, you just feel like you're in the pit of destruction. He drew me out of the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog, and he set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. And he put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. And we're about to sing and praise him as well, just like David did all those years ago. And he says, many will see and fear or have awe and put their trust in the Lord. And I just wanna say, if you're tuned in online, if you're here in the room and you've never put your faith and your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, I just wanna invite you to do that today. When we pray in a minute, I wanna invite you to just open up your heart to God and in your own words say, God, I'm tired of tracking my own way. I'm tired of living my life my own way. I realize I need a redeemer. I need a savior. And so I'm putting the full weight of my life and my trust in you, Jesus. And I wanna live the rest of my days for you. And if you're here and you're already a believer, you've already done that, just let this be a reminder to you that in the pain and the confusion of the loss of this broken world, listen, you have a king who has already come and conquered on your behalf. And your, listen, your suffering doesn't have the final word. Your story is not done yet because your ultimate destination in Jesus is victory, even in the pain, and that's really good news. Let's pray and then we're gonna sing. God, we, we come to you and we are grateful that when we place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that rock bottom for us, the floor for us, it's not hopelessness or anxiety or depression, that our floor is actually your mercy. That when we get to rock bottom, that's what we find there. We find that you're a merciful God, that you have steadfast love, love that that pursues us. Even when we're trying to run away from you, God, you, you stay with us and you pursue us because you you love us, God. And so would you teach us, would you teach us, Father, that waiting can actually be a weapon? God, would you Help us to begin to place our faith and our trust in you and stop trying to figure everything out on our own and manipulate every situation in our lives to begin to to, to trust in you and wait on you to show up, God. And would you remind us that as believers, that our ultimate destination is victory. We know the end of the book. We know the end of the chapter. We know how our story ends. It ends in glory and healing and redemption and peace and joy and happiness and everything we've ever dreamed of in your presence with Jesus forever and ever and ever God so I pray that that would buoy us when we're walking through this these trials and tribulations that that would be our reminder to God that this is where we're going and that is all possible only because of what Jesus has done for us God so thank you so much for sending Jesus on a rescue mission for us for me it's in his beautiful name we ask and we pray these things. Amen. Church, let's stand and worship.